This is Dive In, a podcast about equity, diversity, and inclusion in special education research. I'm your host, Federico Vaitoller, Associate Professor at the University of Illinois at Chicago and board member of the Division of Research of the Council of Exceptional Children. Hello, hello, and welcome to our second episode of Dive In, a podcast about equity, diversity, and inclusion in special education research. We have a special episode today, particularly for those who are writing 325 grants uh, or they are just engaging efforts to diversify the special education teacher force and special education faculty. If you already send your 325, this may help you for next year. But before we start our episode, let me share some striking numbers with you. According to the National Center for Education Statistics, as of 2021, 46% of students receiving special education services were white, 17% were black, 27% were Hispanic, almost 3% were Asia, same for Pacific Islanders, a little bit over 1% were Native American, and 4.6% were two of more races. In contrast to this data, 71% of special education teachers were white. That is, only 29% of special education teachers come from more diverse backgrounds. In today's episodes, we discuss with Christopher J. Cormier if this is a problem, and if it is a problem, how to fix it, and give you specific recommendations. And here's a hint. It's not just about numbers. This is not just about increasing the numbers of future special education teachers from minoritized backgrounds. Now, okay, let me give you some last clarification. When I Google Christopher J. Comier to learn more about his great work on diversifying the special education teacher education force, I found some pictures and I say, whoa, Dr. Comier looks good. But then I realized that Christopher Comier is also a famous bodybuilder. Uh, so you are expecting to hear from this famous bodybuilder, I suggest you try a different podcast. Now, I can testify that I have personally given a hug to Dr. Comier, and he's also a pretty solid and strong guy, but we will be discussing different issues. So stay tuned, stay with us. Here is our interview with Christopher Cher Comier about how to diversify the special education teacher education force. We are here today with Chris Cormier. Thank you so much, Chris, with being with us. Uh, we, uh, I know that you've been doing a lot of work around uh, diversifying the special education teacher force, particularly uh, with black special education teachers. And, and before we talk about that, I mean, I, I want to ask you a very important question that kind of uh, justifies this conversation, uh, which is, why do we need more uh, teachers of colors in special education? You know, uh, if we are doing this evidence-based practice that's supposed to work and increase academic outcomes uh, for all students, why do we need uh, people from certain races to be teaching those classes? Thank you so much for having me. I, I would say that in a perfect world, we wouldn't that we would just have the best and the brightest and the most compassionate individuals teaching our kids, particularly those who are served in SPED programs. The challenge is that multifaceted. One, we should have a teaching force 
that reflects the diverse body of the students of, of kids that are in these programs and in schools broadly, which is not the case. And then also, there have been significant amounts of research results that have highlighted that teachers, particularly those from minoritized backgrounds, are often more compassionate to the needs of students of minoritized backgrounds. And so having teachers that have a little bit more compassion for those students is, is something that makes a big difference academically and for the social emotional needs of those students. Hmm. So those are two major areas, I would say, of why why do we need a more description body among so many others that we can spend a good hour talking about. Yeah, and what do you think about, uh, a lot of people talk about, well, we need, we need teach, we need students to see themselves on their teachers, right? We need those connections. What do you think about those kind of statements? It's true, because the reality is that there are so many kids from diverse backgrounds that never see themselves in any type of professional means. And so they will see themselves in ways in which that are very deficit oriented. So that, but they never see themselves as someone who is a valued teaching a person, part of the teaching community. And in fact, in many schools, even black teachers, for example, when they're there, they're often not really valued for their teaching. They're, they're valued for everything else but teaching. Hmm. And so students may see them as a teacher, maybe as a physical body, but in reality, they notice that what they're being used for is being a disciplinarian or so many other aspects of their identity that are being tapped into that are that are very deficit-oriented um, and, and don't really value them as a professional that they are like everyone else. Hmm. Do you think it has to do anything with, with understanding cultural repertoires or cultural practices? Like if you have a teacher like, like you, that's going to be able to understand you better, that that makes a difference or it doesn't? Or maybe there are small variables involved in that. That's tricky because there's an assumption that there is fair racial, you know, underlying understanding between students and teachers who share the same racial or gendered identities. And that could be true, but it could also not. Yeah. For, for me, it, it worked because as a teacher, I purposely only worked in Title One schools. So the students that I was working with, their experiences in their home environment and their communities were very identical to mine. But that's not always the case. And and th there could be someone who, I'll often say, let's say that they're working in Compton, but they grew up in Beverly Hills. Yeah. And they grew up in Redondo Beach or somewhere else. So their, their lived experience, and not saying that they can't have those shared understanding, but I, I don't, I don't, I stop short in the argument of saying that having teachers from diverse bodies is because they, there's a group that can understand those students because individuals are racial and folks from racialized backgrounds are not monolithic yeah. and their experiences are very different yeah absolutely they they intersect many different kinds of identities and cultural repertoires and and so many uh um uh, uh differences in 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 their daily lives um i've been reading your work uh and uh, and i i was really taken about all your work by uh, uh, looking and studying the, the experiences of black special education teachers. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what have you found, what have you learned by, by, by interviewing? I mean, you probably also experienced it in your own body, but you also have done research. So can you speak in both ways? What have you learned from your own experiences, but also um, what have you learned from, from the research you have done with 
with uh, black special educators? So I, I, I will, I'll talk a little bit about my own and, and how that intersects with my research. I, I, I left teaching because of pretty much all the reasons of things that I've written in my research and study. The experiences of being a special education teacher, there are already challenges that you face outside of just racial issues. So you have issues of challenges of collaboration or Genetic teachers may not want to collaborate with you or not want to provide such support for your students. Your, your class being all the way in the back and pretty much being seen and not heard and the administrator never coming by all year unless it's about wasting time. There's so many nuances that made it a challenge of why I left teaching and said that I wanted to not be an administrator, but wanted to go into research and, and hoping that doing this research would be able to impact Policy and also sharing with pre-service teachers things that I wish I would know when when I went into the field, and and so I, I left teaching for those reasons. And what I found in within the research that I'm doing is that there are many black teachers, and not just black teachers, but because my work I focus on teachers of color more broadly. Also, a, a lot of it in the past has been on black teachers, though, is that they there, there's a, a I'm not big on coining terms, but there was one that kind of, as we were writing this paper, kind of stuck out to me. And the, the, the term was um, black classrooms. And I came up with this term because when I look in the sociological research, uh, they, there's this understanding that um, they're called the glass escalator, <laughs> where men who are in, in fields that are dominated by women are more likely to go higher in those, in those fields. Hmm. And what I found from, from results of what I'm hearing, what I've heard from so many uh, black teachers is that they're in these, they're, they're very hyper visible in school. Hmm. And so the, the, the term black classroom implies that these teachers are there to be seen as performers. Hmm. Because they're only valued for things like being a disciplinarian or, or being a cultural broker. Or if you're a Latina teacher, being someone, or Latino teacher, being someone that, that translates hmm. all without extra funds in, in your school site. Um, and I, I say this often jokingly, but very seriously, that how often is it that a black man is asked to come into a white woman's classroom to do a model instruction on the Pythagorean theorem? Huh. It doesn't happen, but they will ask him to come in to deal with some perceived behavior problem or how to disrupt their classroom to quote unquote manage that behavior. Yeah. And so what often happens is that these teachers, when a child is sent to them, their classroom time is disrupted, but they're torn because on one hand, do they allow this child to come in? either with no work or or to just disrupt their class because they're being a disruptive in somebody else's class and just allow them to stay there, or do they send them away and send them back to their class? Well, the, the challenge that they face is if they send them back to their class and there's already a, some type of perceived issue, then who knows what will happen when a child gets suspended or expelled so it becomes a catch-22. Do I keep this child and let them disrupt my class, but knowing that if they're here, I can provide them 
uh, an area where I'm, where someone is going to understand them and that they're, they're not likely to face getting suspended or expelled over something that probably is trivial? Or do I send them back because I have a responsibility for a classroom that I'm dealing with in this moment as well? Mm-hmm. And it's never an easy decision. It's never an easy decision. So, um, you know, these are some of the types of issues that particularly black teachers and black sub teachers face on a daily basis. And, and, but I will say that through interviews that I've done, I've been quite surprised because, and my initial thoughts when I first started this work was thinking that every black teacher has these challenges in schools. And I learned that that's not always the case. I'm not saying, suggesting that all black teachers don't experience some type of racist or toxic work environment. But, I, but what I've learned is that there are some black teachers that work for principals, whether the principals are black or white, that don't tolerate things like sending kids to somebody else's class. Hmm. Or, don't, or, or so when you have an administrator who sets up school culture in such a way where things that happen on, in most schools across the country, they're not going to tolerate, um, then their, their work life becomes much, much easier. And I will say that I, I, it hasn't been my experience to work in a school with all black students either. And so I've had participants in studies to say, well, we, I don't have those issues because all the students are black. So even if the teaching force is diverse or not, well, they, they can't necessarily say that one kid is being, one, one racial group is being sick to them over another because all the students in the school are black. Yeah. And so these are things that I, when I've done interviews, I've been quite surprised. And it's, it, um, you know, just reminded me that even though these experiences are in many places all over the country, there are pockets of places where these things don't happen and that black teachers do feel valued and, and do feel like they're, that they're an, a valued part of the teaching community. Hmm. You know, can you differentiate a little bit? Uh, because, I mean, you're talking about black teachers. Do you think the experience of black special education teachers, it's different from those teaching general education classrooms? It's a good question. And I would say yes, but then again, I'm also biased. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> the special education students, I'll, I'll back up even further than that. Students with disabilities in society, particularly U.S. society, are not a valued group of individuals. And so you have these students who are not valued, and then you add on to that race. And so then you have one group that's not valued, and then you have another group that, based on their race, are not valued. So then they're even more having challenges of not feeling um, like a valued commodity within the school environment. Then you add on having a black teacher. And again, so you have black folks are not valued in U.S. society. And they're advocating on behalf of individuals, one, because of their disability are not valued, and two, because of their race are not valued. And not just black students, black and brown students. Yeah. And so the, these experiences that these special education teachers have is, is even more challenging in their workplace lives because of their own identities and the identities of the students and the ones that they're trying to advocate for. And so I, 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 I'm always mindful to say that being a special education teacher just in general is a challenge. Hmm. But then that becomes exacerbated when you add on race. 
Have Have you done any work or or have you found anything on on the experiences of who are uh, becoming special education teachers uh, in the teacher teacher preparation programs? Yeah. So actually, some of my earlier work was focused on a pre-service teacher. These students, the challenges that I'm talking about that folks would face in the schooling environment. So once they're actually teachers or when they're doing their student teaching. They experienced very racialized experiences in their pre-service programs. They were often the, the only black man in their program. And so they are one of very few. And they, they would often experience so many issues of, um, issues related to their race and their gender that for some almost made them not want to continue on in education. Hmm. And so I, I would say that when we're thinking about pre-service teachers and we're thinking about regardless of how they're being educated, whether it's at a university, whether it's a growing on program, where is the types of supports that are needed to support these candidates? Hmm. That there are some unique things that are needed for these candidates that are, are different. Hmm. No, I'm going to ask you a related question uh, uh, around teacher education programs. Uh, how do, how do you think universities can can uh, diversify better the pool of teachers that they're training? How they can recruit more teachers of colors, particularly in special education, and and how can create how can create learning environments in where uh, 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 special uh, people of colors that are becoming special educators are having like uh, nurturing and safe and, and, and deep learning experiences? Good question. I, one, of, one of the challenges that I, that I feel, so I'll answer it in two ways, because I also mentioned how that to me relates to the recruitment of teachers of color in, in special education teachers of color in schools. There's all this push on recruitment. Mm -hmm. Oh, we need to get more teachers who look like this into school or into teacher ed programs. My, my pushback against that is I, I don't want to suggest that we don't, that we don't recruit, but I will say that there has not been enough effort on looking at retention. Hmm. We can bring folks in all we want, but they continue to leave and they leave at higher rates than white folks. And so when we're thinking about teacher ed programs, why I, I've been in situations where I have at, at teacher ed programs that I've, that I've been at, that I've asked, why do you think there's an issue with, with not having a very diverse pool of candidates here? And, you know, no one, no one wants to really blame it on them for not making a big effort, but they'll say, oh, you know, we, we sent flyers out. We, we, uh, we talked to our, we talked to our colleagues and, and asked them if they know anyone who's interested. We even have money. And what I push back and say, but how often have you actually went and physically tried to recruit someone? So there are plenty of HBCUs out there. There are other minority serving institutions out there. I even offered to go, even though it's beyond my role. Because I feel like going to an HBCU to recruit would 
would allow those candidates to know that there's someone who looks like them there and who also values them. Hmm. So that there, there's also that problem. So when we're talking about recruitment, well, we don't have enough faculty of color in specification programs. Hmm. And so, and students then are reluctant to go to programs when they look on the website and everyone there is white. And even those that are there, that they don't do any type of work around race. Hmm. And most special education programs, if you look at the body of work that folks are doing, they, it's very culturally neutral. They do not examine race and the results of their studies are not disaggregated. And so I feel like until there is an effort by the wider fed community to really care about the issues of diverse, diversity of teachers, then how can we expect students to want to come to those schools mm-hmm. when your work doesn't even look at. So there's folks that'll do work on stress burnout of spec teachers, but never look at that, of how that, or even pre-service teachers, but never look at that from the lens of diversity. Mm. So yeah, spec teachers are stressed and burnt out, but are black spec teachers burnt out more or less? Are Latino special education teachers burnt out more or less? And so I, I, I'm asking it around about way only because I feel like it's not, I, I can't, I don't feel it's a one directional answer. So on one hand, that scholars, if the scholars at these institutions really wanted to have an understanding of why, then within their scholarship, they would look at these things or at least disaggregate their data so that they can, they can understand. And that understanding would lead, hopefully, I believe, to them having a better, clear picture of why folks can't get in. So why folks are not coming. So one thing I also say is that when we bring diverse folks into teacher ed programs, just like in any type of job, let's say a school says, a university says, we want to have more Native American pre-service teachers, which, and I'll say the scholarship on that population is almost non-existent. Mm-hmm. But they bring them into the school, they bring them into the university, give them some money for a master's or a PhD program instead. But none of the faculty have any understanding of what it means to be a Native American and what are the unique needs of that population. Mm-hmm. And I find, and that is at almost pretty much every university anywhere. So all of these places will say that we want more diverse students or we want more diverse faculty. But they have no understanding of the needs of these individuals of the, of the, that are related to their culture. So I'll also say that there are, so when we're that, and when we're thinking about retention, retention, particularly in the teacher ed program, we, many schools claim to be socially justice oriented, which, which they're not, but it, it's a, it's a nice, it, it, it sounds nice. And, in, in the curriculum, many schools will have classes that students have to take on diversity. So either working with diverse students or working with diverse students and families. Yet, I don't know of any programs that there are courses that engage students on how to work with others from diverse backgrounds. So they come with a very... overarching understanding of how to work with students and families from the various backgrounds. And again, it's not, I say overarching because it's really not that robust. It's usually one class versus it being embedded throughout their entire program. Mm-hmm. But 
these same teachers don't know what it's like or what are the unique things that they need to understand to work with people with work to work with individuals from those diverse backgrounds. Hmm. So if you have an understanding of working with students, you should also have an understanding of working with faculty who look differently from you because these faculty um, are, are, are the ones that we're saying that we, that we want to bring in, but folks don't understand that they have certain unique needs that, that are misunderstood, that are often misunderstood and are misunderstood because programs don't take the time to sit and educate themselves as well as pre-service teachers on what is it like to work with a black teacher? What are the needs? What is it like to work with a Latina teacher? What is it like to work with an Asian teacher? These are things that should be explored in teacher ed programs and are not. And so mm. in a nutshell, I'll say that what this causes is students come into these programs from diverse backgrounds. And they realize very, very quickly that they're not valued and that their perspectives aren't valued and, and that, um, the question is for them is why should I be here? Yeah. And so they either, they either make, they may either make a decision to leave teaching, leave that university or to go into teaching and face the same level of challenges and, 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 and leave. Mm-hmm. And so until we can address keeping them, and what is, what is their experiences like when they're there? What types of unique supports are being provided to these pre-service teachers when they're at these environments? And, and, the, and the solution should not be that whatever faculty member who shares their racial makeup should be their advisor. Yeah. And that's usually what happens, <clears throat> that they should make that on the person who looks like you or go to this person because they can help you. But acknowledging that, there's things that we all can bring to the table to support these candidates, and it should not be on the plate of the few minoritized mm-hmm. that no Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I just uh, for what I'm here, I mean, you're you're make, you're saying that it's not just about recruitment, which universities try to focus a lot, right? How we can add you know, these numbers, but also the experiences that they're having within the program. Um, and related to that, the kind of faculty that you're tr- that you have in your program, that whose research and teaching may speak to the experiences and interests of those students they are trying to recruit, is that is that a, a, a good portrayal of what you're saying? Yeah, correct. And uh, and, and I, I I I really that your answer sh- uh, stroke me because uh, you know if I'm I'm a, a researcher who does work on on racial equity in special education, and if I have to go to a, a, a another college, I'm not looking for jobs. But if I have to go for another college, um, you know, I'll look at the website and say, it's "Like, it's anybody in this faculty that may I may join does any work on race, and if they don't, why would I go there? Because they're not going to understand the kind of work that you do that I do sometimes, right? And that that Kind of for sometimes it's a barrier to to recruit faculty of colors, which it's a cyclical because then it's a barrier also to 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 attract uh, uh, future special educations of color. Would you agree? Yes, but I'll also push and say that it's 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 a double edged sword because on one hand you want to go to a place and I've I've had the same challenge. You want to go to a place where. There's no one who looks like you, no one who does the work that you do or, no, or, anything, or anything related or all of those things. But at the, then at the same time, you, are, are you most needed in those environments? 
because mm-hmm. there aren't anyone who looks like you. And there, there isn't anyone who's doing the work that you do. And so, but that comes at a cost because if you're hired on to these places to do that work and, and to be that faith, you're, you're, you're potentially going to face opposition from other faculty and from students who are not used to having those conversations. Mm-hmm. And so then do you water it down or do you just share it in the way that it needs to be shared and, and deal with the fact that the students aren't prepared to really have conversations on the toxicity that exists in the school system, particularly from minoritized faculty and minoritized students. Mm-hmm. I, so I, I, I can't say that there's an easy answer. I, I can see being married in both, but it's a very hard decision to make because mm-hmm. as, as researchers, we're, we're also human beings and we also have emotions. Yeah. And so we want to make a difference, but sometimes making a difference comes at a cost that can impact our mental health. And, and it's so, it, it's just not an easy decision often to make. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. You know, and in that regards, you know, I want to, I want to bring up a, a quote, you know, related to what we were conversing, a quote that you wrote in an article for Harvard Review, uh, Harvard Educational Review. And I'm going to read the quote and I'm going to ask you a question. So you say, I often will hear some white teachers say that certain children were destined to fail because of racialized factors like parents' incarceration or drug addiction. I experienced both of these in my immediate family, but my colleague did not know that. I hear teachers even condemn children to failure based on their grooming or even their parents' clothing. These comments sicken me and drag me up memories of my experience as a young adolescent who often went to school wearing dirty clothes because there was no money to wash them. I eventually bought a microwave oven for my classroom because you're saying paraphrasing, you're saying you were going and trying to warm up your food in the kitchen and you were hearing these comments from, from white teachers. Uh, so how did you deal with that? I mean, I'm, 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 I'm sure I'm positive that it's a lot of other people that have experienced similar situations in schools and in universities. Um, how do you deal with that? And, let, and let's say you cannot get a microwave in your, in your office. So uh, you... Uh, what advice can you give to teachers and to faculty of color that, that are experiencing similar events? I, I'll start with the last part about it, if they can't get a microwave. <laughs> I, I know, well, I, I'm not the best example. I know that we, we were not supposed to have a microwave. I just <laughs> didn't. <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't tell teachers to do that. But I, I will say, I, I tell teachers all the time, particularly teachers from a military background, at all costs, stay out of the teacher's lounge. Hmm. I, at all costs. There, there is no, it, it, the conversations in there are so toxic that even if you cannot, for whatever reason, money or school policy or any other reason cannot have a microwave and a refrigerator in your classroom, I bring a challenge every day. I, I would not, those, those environments, I, I've just not seen the joy of humanity in those places. And, and they're not happy places to be because mm. they, they, teachers often go into those places and you hear chatter 
and it, it just, it, it can be very uncomfortable. Hmm. So I would just say at all costs, in a way. The, as far as how do I deal with it, because of those reasons, they're actually the reasons I left teaching. So I'm, even when I teach pre-service teachers or school sites, I, I'm very cautious of how much depth that I go into about my reason for teaching, for, for reason for leaving, because I feel if I was to go into that much depth in any school that I worked at, they wouldn't have any teachers in the teacher ed program. Hmm. So I, I do try to share some joy with teachers because everything wasn't bad. Yeah. There were some great things that I really enjoyed. I actually will say, I, I'll put my foot in my mouth and say that, but I actually say, I mean, I enjoy teaching K-12 students more than teaching in the college level. There's a joy that I got from working with kids that is just different. Now, I love teaching priests of the teachers because it gives me an opportunity to share with them things that I didn't, that I wish I, I would have known. Hmm. But as far as how, how, how did I manage that, I isolated myself, which is what many faculty of color do in K-12 settings and in higher ed. You, you don't get quote unquote teach honey with people that you work with. And, and is, is it the best solution? I, I don't know. Hmm. And I, I don't want to, I don't want to say that because I don't, I feel that as human beings, we're all social beings and we want to feel a sense of belongingness. We want to not feel like we're teaching, <laughs> teaching, you're already in a bubble by yourself most of the day anyway. So then to not have an opportunity to sit and eat lunch with a colleague or go out after work with a colleague makes that can make it even more isolating and more frustrating. But I try, I, I can't answer it in the way that I can say this is what I would tell someone to do because even as a faculty member, it's, it's a still a struggle that I have now hmm. that how much do I let people in? And when you let people in, sometimes that, that it, it can come at a cost as well because things that you say and you do can be misunderstood. So yeah, I, I think that's one of the joys slash woes of being a researcher that we can say that we don't have all the answers, but we're still trying to figure it out. And so I, I can't say what that solution is. I can just say for me, it's something that even after all these years, I'm still trying to figure out hmm. and, and trying to figure out what are some things that others are doing that are working that potentially are things that I can, that I can draw from. Hmm. I want to ask you now. You know, this this was very interesting. I was just I made a pause because I was thinking about what you're saying. Uh, uh, because as you said, you, we also this not only happens in schools but also in academia, which also related to the prior conversation we were having about uh, experiences of faculty and how that repercutes on on recruitment and uh, of of future special education teachers of, of colors. But I would like to switch a little bit about research now before we end, um, because one of I mean one of the goals I think of this podcast uh, is to 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 make special make no but but encourage uh, support and and nurture special education research that takes equity from the beginning right that that centers equity on research design and on any research activity. So what? How do you uh, um, center equity in your research, in your research design? So, 
the, I, I'll say the way that I center equity is that everything for me is has a racial lens. Mm-hmm. Everything. So, and any opportunity that I've been asked to be on, if it's a paper or a panel, I make it very clear that if I'm asked, then we're going to disaggregate and examine race. Um, I, I feel like so many universities have these initiatives where they're focusing on DEI because they feel like they're being equitable, but race is never a part of that. Mm. And, and so the racialized experiences of, of students in special education and school, um, it, 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 it's often ignored in broader scholarship and special education. And, and so, you know, I, I think some people may think that when we say equity, we're, we're assuming race is there, but it's not. I, I was in a meeting once where it was through the Calcutta Exceptional Children and the conversation was, well, let's make sure that we're centering equity. And I raised my hand and I said, well, how are we planning equity? And so I feel like so many in our field believe they're equitable because they're doing work that's centered around students who have disabilities. And I, I wouldn't disagree that there is a level of equity when we're thinking about a, a diverse population of individuals based on their physical or, or even mental disabilities. However, one thing that's often not talked about is how is that exacerbated, like I said, when it came to teach, especially teachers, when we think about race. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like all of these, anything that I talk about, anything that I do, when I, inter- when I interview for job, I said very bluntly, that it doesn't matter what class you ask me to teach. If you ask me to teach a class on basket weaving, we are going to examine race. And so um, I, I guess that, to me, that's just my lens on equity. Mm-hmm. But it's something. It, 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 but again, it comes. It comes at a cost because when you're the one that's always bringing that up, then it, it's not. Al- it's not always welcome. And and that's what I find unfortunate in our field that is a field about caring about a population that is often the has the most significant challenges of schools. Our, our field is often not as grateful when it comes to looking at certain populations, particularly students, students of color. Mm, absolutely. I mean what I'm what I'm hearing you saying is like you cannot do research in special education without centering rights. You cannot escape rights. Uh, because it's so uh, ubiquitous, I think, uh, in in American society, in American institutions, that uh, you're missing a huge part of your, not just your students' identity, but of the context in which they're learning and and teacher and teaching for 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 teachers. When we talk about research on teachers, uh, and of course, I will add also issues of of class and gender as well to that uh, that needs to be centered. Uh, uh, up and front at the time we do research. So if you will have, let's pretend you have a, a young scholar. I know you're still young too. I'm not saying you're an older scholar. Uh, but if you have a, a younger scholar in front of you, someone just who entering a doctoral program, what would be like three very brief pieces of advice that you give that person to center equity in their research?
there's a few ways I can answer it, but I'll answer it the best, the best that I can, especially given our time. One, as far as centering their, their research on, particularly on race in special ed, is, I would say one to say the course. And what I mean by that is, it is much easier, I feel, to get even work published or to get something accepted and in any type of, it's just in any, even in the conversation, when you're talking about these conversations broadly and not talking about race. And so once you add on aspects of race, you, you get pushback from editors or from reviewers. I, I had a reviewer once who told me and that I, I was, they said that I was talking about institutional racism and they said, well, can you talk about the other side of that? Because institutional racism is not a known phenomenon in the U.S. And I didn't understand how to respond to that. And I even talked to the editor, and they they didn't see the comment as problematic. And so, and that was this reviewer is saying that institutional racism doesn't exist. There's two sides of that. There's the argument that people are saying it exists, and the argument that people are saying it doesn't. Well, I can't speak to the argument that people are saying it doesn't because it it does exist. Mm-hmm. And so, understanding those types of that this field is full of um, hurt as far as your you can you can try to write something and for five or six years it'll get rejected. So to stay the course and knowing that mm-hmm. and stay by your convictions and knowing that if there's something that you're writing about and it's important to you, do not allow, don't be so desperate for a conference proposal or a publication that you're just willing to make changes that changes your identity of what you feel about. Mm-hmm. So if that paper needs to fit for three, four, or five years, because I've had that happen, then you let it sit because you're not going to change what you feel is important in, in, in an argument because you're so thirsty for a publication. Uh, the other thing is is that you're needed in this field, that individuals are not having this conversation. And so I can tell you almost daily, I question, is there something else I can do? Because it becomes frustrating where everything about everything that I do is from some deficit oriented lens that I'm trying to find some solution to. And it and that doesn't just stick with you in your work. It's it's it bleeds into your to your existence. It bleeds into when you're spending time with your family, when you're watching a movie, if you can't even enjoy and laugh at something because you're so critical of everything because you're as a scholar yeah. it calls you to really think of everything so critically. So I, I would say just um Knowing that if if not you, then who? Mm-hmm. And, and that is really what has pushed me to to know that at some point, hopefully, you'll they'll, these new scholars will know that they are making a difference. And even though they're they're getting stuck in their university environment or in their in their doc program or at that or in their postdoc or whatever it is that say the course because they're pushed if if they there's individuals that don't have that benefit of just giving up. Hmm. And so if you give up, then the students and the teachers in schools don't have that advocate to see through that lens of something that they're trying to study. Um, and and I, I guess lastly, it, it, as far as it, advice that I, that I would give is read as much as you can <laughs> and know what's out there. Yeah. I, I, I um, feel that I, 
one thing that I've done is I've not only just read in the field of special education, but I subscribe to journals in other fields. So in law, in psychology, in sociology, mm-hmm. and and I get and I, I physically I, I like getting journals in the mail, so I have to come in the mail. And what is so helpful is understanding how these conversations are happening uh, through an interdisciplinary lens. Yeah, has helped me as a scholar because the way that we talk about these things and said are very different in sociology are very but there's so many things that you can learn and that you can become an interdisciplinary scholar and writing to those populations allows you to have a voice that's not only isolated in the special education field yeah. but allows you to be able to speak to individuals across the spectrum of education or human development yeah that that's a great advice I mean, particularly in our field that I feel sometimes gets very isolated and very protective of itself. And, and we tell our, our doc students, oh, go to CC. But I, I, I mean, I, I have, I was lucky to have an advisor that, that sent me to many different routes and read very different literature. But in, 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 in general, I think we just, I, I, I don't know. I, I haven't hear other people telling their doctoral students, "Oh, go to the uh, American uh, Association of Sociology conference," you know, or go to the AA AAA, the American Anthropology uh, Association. Right? We we don't encourage, I think, enough our stu- SPED students, doctoral special education students, to go to to completely different uh, or, or different fields that that actually can can find. Uh, 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 interesting knowledge and, and research and insights that will help them better to make sense of, of where the, the world and the phenomena that are trying to study. Uh, I think that that comment very valuable. So here's the last question. It's the, the most important question of the interview. So I know you have gone to Dr. Phil's show uh, this year. Uh, if you are listening to this podcast, you can go to Chris' website and there he has a link where he's in, in Dr. Phil's show. Uh, so here's the question. Who was a better interviewer, Dr. Phil or me? And think careful about these questions because that may depend if I publish this interview or not. <laughs> um, of, of course, you. Thank you, you. thank you so much. And, and one thing I didn't have to do, I didn't have to drive an LA traffic <sighs> to Paramount uh, Studio. So you paid me some gas money. <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, that's the right answer, Chris. Thank you so much for being with us. And uh, I hope to see you around in some of the conference. Take care. Okay. Okay, I stopped recording. We're done. Thank you so much. This was great. Thank you for listening to our second episode of Dive In. I hope you enjoy the interview and learn as much as I did with Christopher J. Comier. This episode was produced by Tasia Gonzalez and Haya Abdelatif and the Diversity Committee of the Division of Research of the Council for Exceptional Children. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast and check each month for a new episode. See you next time.